Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another topic episode here on the Build Your Network podcast. For those of you who are new to the show, basically every single Wednesday, what we do is we take three segments on a certain topic from past episodes that we've had on the show, past interviews. So uh, today we're featuring Calvin Wayman, Annette Rayner, and Edwin Ariave. Each of them has been interviewed in the past on the show. So what we do is we pick a certain topic. So today's topic happens to be the journey journey from zero to hero. So we're going to take that topic, go back, find a couple of guests that talk about this particular uh, topic, and then put them all into one episode with some bite-sized content that's very, very directed and focused uh, so you can get what you need for the day. So from zero to hero today with Calvin Wayman, Annette Rayner, and Edwin Ariave, I would go into a bunch of their stories here, but uh, the title is pretty self-explanatory in terms of exactly what you're going to hear from them, and I promise you, you're not going to want to miss out on that. So um, be sure to tune in to this episode. But first, really quickly, if if uh, podcasting is a part of your business plan for 2020. So if you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur and uh, podcasting is something that you've been toying around with for a long time, but you just haven't made the time or uh, haven't dedicated the staff to it or, or whatever it is, whatever the reasons or excuses that you've been telling yourself would be, um, I encourage you this year to make it a part of your business plan to jump into the podcasting scene. There's been uh, just so many um, unspoken benefits that come along with starting a podcast. And 
you know, contrary to popular belief, you don't have to try to become the next, you know, Joe Rogan experience or the next Gary V audio uh, experience podcast. Like you don't have to become a top 10 podcast in order for it to positively affect your bottom line and your business. So, um, that is something that I do is I'm a podcast coach consultant. So if you are interested at all, at all in, uh, in working with me on something like that, then just head over to travischapelcom slash apply and uh, we will be chatting real soon. And now here is From Zero to Hero with Calvin Wayman, Annette Rayner, and Edwin Ariave. Have you ever paid for like a mentorship or a mastermind or anything like that? Or is it, has it just kind of been like hanging Totally. Around? Okay. How has that benefited you in like the last couple of years? That actually, what I would say has been the fastest quote unquote shortcut to my success so far. And I feel like I'm just barely getting started and stuff like that. But yeah. success mm-hmm. in either business and accelerating my network, it actually all started there. So I went to a couple of events. And one of the events I went to was an event in San Diego called Life on Fire. And it was by a guy named Nick Unsworth. I literally just was on the phone with Nick yesterday because um, for my podcast because we haven't chatted now for... It's been like a year since we've had like a full conversation. Okay. But having the podcast, it was good to reconnect with that. But he is what put me on the path to growth. And so masterminding was awesome. Like I went from, that's how I went from like being completely in debt to getting my mindset right to in less than eight months becoming debt free for the first time in my life Hmm. was because of the things that I was learning being around that circle. And after talking to Chris Harder, you already mentioned, I was like, okay, you have what I want. There's this, invisible ceiling that we all have. Mm-hmm. And what do I need to do to break through the next thing? And he was like, you need to join a mastermind that scares the hell out of you. Like something <laughs> that is getting you around a circle with people that you feel completely inadequate. Yeah. And I was like, it actually was a light bulb moment. Cause I was thinking, Oh, I've already done the mastermind thing. So that box is ticked off. But after talking to Chris, he was like, you're right. Like that was cool what I did, but I've done all the growth that from that mastermind. Now I need to like join another one that will push me even further. Right. So like that mastermind before was people that were starting their business. I now need to be around people that have been in business for like five years or 10 years and can like push me even further down the line. To a higher level, yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan and it's actually something that I'm, I've been thinking a lot about the last couple of weeks since talking to Chris, Mm because right now my head's on a swivel, kind of a radar's going off, just saying, okay, once I get my tax season stuff done, how much refund or what do I have cash-wise and what's a a mastermind that I can step into? Like, I think that like based on this conversation, everything that investing in the circle of the people that I'm around will be way better than any... Facebook ad strategy, I do anything that can increase money right now because those relationships can just compound and you can benefit from year over year over year. So I'm a big fan of masterminds. Yeah. Chris and I talked a lot about that when he came on my show. We talked a lot about masterminds and how much money he spent on just masterminds. And man, I just agreed so much with everything that he was saying. And I love that he said it that way. Join a mastermind that makes you uncomfortable because that's exactly... Yes. That's where the most growth has come for me was when I joined John Lee Dumas's mastermind that he had at his house in Puerto Rico last May. And that was like a huge step for me because I'd never spent any money on a mastermind before. So to drop like eight grand for a weekend, I was like, this is a lot of money for me right now. Like, I don't know how well, am I going to justify this? You did it just for a weekend, huh? 
just a weekend. Yeah, literally just three days at wow. his house. But now John and I are really close. He's actually a good friend of mine. And now it's kind of like an unofficial mentorship type thing where if I need something and I shoot him a quick text, he texts me back and gives me some good advice. And it's turned into like a really good friendship. And then that one friendship has sparked literally the rest of the network building that I've been able to do over the course of the last year. And now I'm in Cole Hatter's mastermind. And the way that I met Cole was by volunteering to work John's booth at Thrive, which is Cole's event. And then Mm -hmm. hearing Cole talking about his mastermind the whole time. And I knew that I needed to get into another one. And so I talked to John. John made an intro to Cole. Talked to Cole. A couple weeks later, joined Cole's mastermind, which was another big step for me. It's about 15... How are you like that, by the way. I love it, bro. Honestly, like I talked to Cole at 10X GrowthCon. I was like, bro, you need to raise the price of this mastermind. Like he gives so much value to the members of his mastermind, man. So, so that's the one I'm thinking of and... right now. It's funny you mention it. So mm-hmm. that... Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's the one I'm actually considering. So that's cool hearing that you're getting value from it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, so a lot of like high-level influencers have masterminds, you know, but it's, I don't want to say neglected, but not as much time is spent on the actual... like Not as much of their personal time is spent building relationships in those groups as Cole does, from what I understand. I have not joined any of those like $30,000 or $40,000, $50,000 masterminds. But from what I've understood and from the people that I've talked to, and then talking to people that have joined other masterminds that are also in Cole's mastermind that are talking about just how awesome his is. I highly recommend it, bro. It's a, been a really great learning experience for me. He actually let me speak on the stage at the last Connect Mastermind. So it allowed me to speak oh, cool. right before like Naveen Jain came on right after me. So he actually saw me speak and said, good job and stuff like that. Which mm, was The billionaire. Job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like how many other masterminds would have given me that opportunity? So I think that he... And he's insanely well-connected, which his mastermind is called Connect. So literally, he connects you with other people. That's what he does. That's what his mastermind is for. And then he's also really knowledgeable himself in a lot of different areas and especially in real estate investing, which is something that I do on the side and want to get better at. So that was another reason for me. But yeah, it's been a great experience overall. And I just can't stress enough to people the importance of sometimes you just got to pay to play. You know, like sometimes you just need to to yes. invest into relationships. Like I encourage everybody to have a networking budget, an amount of money that they spend on a monthly basis or a yearly basis, a quarterly basis, however you want to work it out, where you're spending this money on networking, whether it's an event or a mastermind. I recommend masterminds over events because it's really deep personal relationships with people developed over a long period of time. And if you do events more than masterminds, I would say try to go for that VIP ticket or find a way to get in those VIP rooms instead of just going in general admission. Because like I said, the deeper connections that you make with more influential people... You're going to be around... Yeah. You're going to be at a higher level of people if you're in the VIP space. Absolutely. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed 
survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent Fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. But yeah, bro, it's been super cool. And now I've actually started my own mastermind because I've seen so much benefit from being in masterminds. So mine is a lot more entry level. Like I'm trying to make it almost a bridge for people that you know were in my position last year that maybe don't feel comfortable with spending that $8,000 to join John Lee Dumas's weekend mastermind or maybe don't feel comfortable dropping 15K to, to join Cole's mastermind or something. So I'm trying to give people like a bridge in between to where it's like, look, this is it's super affordable. It gives you a taste of it and I'm going to over-deliver on that value. So now that's something that I've really been working on because of how much I believe in the power of these masterminds and stuff. I started my career back in 1983 with Xerox Corporation in Emerging Technologies. And being a female in the technology field back in 1983 was truly a rare situation (laughs) where programming was really new and it was definitely an all-male field. Mm. However, I was afforded this awesome opportunity to work with the Palo Alto Research Center of Xerox in Palo Alto to help the scientists there bring the technologies that they were creating to the sales force. There seemed to be a mismatch at the time Mm. between all of these wonderful things that were being created and how do people actually apply them? Mm. Where's the practical use and the productivity associated with the technology? And this, of course, is before the proliferation of personal computers, years, decades before the smartphone. Mm. So that experience was just invaluable to me, especially being early in my career. And applying technology and assisting large companies, I supported Fortune 50 companies in solving their largest technology problems, including American Express and Johnson & Johnson, amongst others. And what I found is that the adoption of technology was very difficult for most people. And even more important was the adoption of technology in the financial sector was practically non-existent. They were still running papers <laughs> across the stock trading floor yeah. well into the 90s. And so when I was asked by a friend to take a look at this analysis software for the financial sector, I really saw that this is where the future is. Applying the power of technology to the financial sector to support the common individual is something that is totally overlooked. Most people would only participate in the world capital markets 
if they were wealthy or if they had a contact and they were led into a very elite group. But the common individual was left with trial and error. And I myself went through years of trial and error. And the funny thing is, is that all of the successes, and I was blessed to have many in my real estate career, my early trading, I would be making more money in those opportunities than I did in my IT consulting firm. Mm. And so it became clear to me that that's where I wanted to be. But then, of course, 2007 for real estate and 2008 for the financial markets hit. And I could honestly say that you really get your education when everything goes wrong. There's very little to be learned (laughs) when everything goes right. And that was pretty much what ultimately it was the incredible success early on, followed by the very swift and devastating losses that led me to really see nobody should have to go through this. Nobody should have to spend years and years, especially if you're in my age group. I'm not ashamed to say I'm 53 years old, but people my age have lived through three market corrections. And the first one, you know, we could recover. We were young enough. But when you come to 2008, we were not in a position, many of us, to recover. Mm. We felt that we had less time. We were not as marketable. People who lost their jobs were not getting hired. And so we, of all of the generations, have probably been hit the hardest since the generation of the Great Depression. So that is just a little bit of what was, you know, a very exciting and long career, both with great success and great loss, that ultimately led me to what I'm really passionate about. And that's making sure that everyone does not have to go through the trial and error period. Why not reach back and tell everyone what you've learned, what the information is, where the successes are, what you have to do so that they can compress that cycle for themselves. And that was what led to the creation of Wealth Generators which is where between me and death, it's wealth generators. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Devastating would definitely be a word I think most people would use to describe what happened back in a 2007, 2008 timeframe. But I'm sure that is probably even more so for someone like yourself that was really most all of your income and investments, not, you know, most people just lost the investment part, but you lost your income and your investments. Everything's going back down to zero within a year, year and a half, two years, what that had taken you 20 years to build. Can you take us back to that emotional state, mental state? What were you thinking at the time and how were you able to bounce back and ultimately find your passion and, and start wealth generators? You know, honestly, I wouldn't use the word bounce back. And to be completely honest, there were days I didn't want to leave my closet, let alone my bedroom. I mean, especially if I'm a hard worker, I'm usually the first there, the last to leave in all of my career. Mm -hmm. And it was just very shocking to me because I was one of those people who believed that if you do the right thing and you work very hard, success will be there. And for the first part of my career, that's exactly what took place. And then I was shown what could happen when things go wrong. And these are things entirely beyond your control. It takes, you don't even realize, you're not willing to accept that they're beyond your control. You're still trying to, to outrun this landslide until you realize. I mean, even, even professionals, both lawyers and accountants are saying, 
you know, you have to pull the plug on this. This has nothing to do with you. Stop taking it personal. But if you've lived your whole life with a certain acumen, you're just not ready to give in to this kind of failure. And I consider myself, and this is probably going to be shocking to most people, I consider myself extremely blessed. I will tell you that that hell, and it was hell, had it not happened, I learned very little. And Wealth Generators is never created. Mm -hmm. And to me, that would be the greatest tragedy. So now, all these years later, I fully understand why I had to go through what I had to go through. And I consider myself lucky because I made it through. Being, I live in New Jersey, I live in Monmouth County, and it's a heavy concentration of financial sector professionals. And in my own town, there were four suicides as a result of the 2008 financial crisis. Wow. So it becomes very personal where, and here again, not that I want to um, sit on gender because I don't, but there is something to be said. It's very difficult for the breadwinner, especially if they're male, to adjust to that type of loss and not being able to provide for the family and how they can adjust from that. I think it was easier in my case because it was always an uphill battle in general hmm. where I took the attitude that said, I'm not going to beat myself up over this because the aggressive actions I took in the first place made me wealthy. Those are the same decisions that made me poor, you know, or made me lose the original successes that I had created. Yeah. But in that whole process were some really great things that I learned. And it's not that I wish that other people get the benefit to learn that about themselves. But in my case, I know for a fact, I'm the same person, whether I have money or don't. Some people are not, they're very different. Mm. And I believe that the important things in life are really not associated with the actual money. It's a resource, absolutely. Mm. But it's the satisfaction and the application of the resource to things that create a better environment for people, that is really more important. Whether it's giving back to your family, your community, and really being a participant in not only recreation, but also just stability of where you live in your family ties. Those are really the important things. And yeah. being financially stable enables that. Yeah, of course. Of course. When you look back at that, was there like one just experience or aha moment of, or whatever you want to call it that made you push forward and move on to the next thing? Or was it just letting time work its magic and letting that go eventually was just like this really long process? Was it one point or was it just a long process of, of letting it go and moving on to the next thing? There was actually one specific moment and this still was a long haul, but there was one specific moment where I was in the closet, like I said earlier, and typically every day you have the why me? Why is this happening to me? Right. I've worked so hard, I don't understand. And for whatever reason, on this particular morning in my closet, I just looked up and said, what is it that I am supposed to see here? Because I cannot imagine being brought to this place without a reason. And it was when... In my opinion, I prayed a different prayer. People can call it what they will. But for me, I asked the right question. What are you showing me? Hmm. And once I made that statement, 
everything started to change, not immediately and not overnight, Mm -hmm. but phone calls and opportunities and people to take a look at this concept of focusing on the individual investor, bringing information out, contacts that I had from the past coming back into my life. And slowly over a period of 18 months, wealth generators came to life. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be another 18 months after that until I was willing to see all of the connections. You're not aware of those connections when they're happening. And that, but I am a reflective person looking back on that time and being grateful that I made it through. So I was afforded the opportunity to look back and see how all those connections came to be and, and be thankful and revel in the awe of what happened once I changed. Yeah. That's so important. What you just said, I think is, is the best advice that I would ever give to somebody going through something like that. And and I went through something similar and I've no, nowhere near the scale that you're talking about Annette. but that was exactly what I think brought me out of it was changing myself first. And then uh, like the law of attraction says, you're going to attract what you think and, and thoughts are things and they'll attract more of the same. So exactly what you just said. If you're listening, you only don't take anything else from this conversation. Take that one thing, because most of the time, if you can just get into some personal development and you change yourself, your thought process, the way that you look at the world, then things will start changing for you. One of the things that drew me to you and one of the reasons that I really wanted to get you on the show was that I've heard your name for the last few years because I was doing door-to-door security sales, which you and I kind of talked about when we were able to finally meet in person at 10X GrowthCon a few weeks back. I know that that's how base, that's how Skyline really started was in door-to-door. And that's what really intrigues me because I know how difficult it is to really really start and build door-to-door sales teams and actually see it grow and not just grow in a certain localized area, but now you've been able to grow it successfully into over 30 states now. Talk to me about what that process really looked like. Like, How much energy and effort did it take on your part to be able to build a successful, successful sales team that way? Yeah, well, I think the, you know it was a process. The first 10 years that I did it, I wasn't sold on the industry. Again, I did it because I love the money in it. Mm-hmm. Great money. But I didn't really see myself doing it for the rest of my life. And because of that, I think I didn't really grow. The fr- I mean, don't get me wrong. We started doing really well. We started doing you know, 200 to 250 accounts a month, which is in our industry considered doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. But I sort of plateaued. I never, for 10 years, I got stuck there. And I was going door to door myself, training one guy at a time, one guy became two, then two became four, then eight. And then obviously we have a bunch now, but I didn't grow because again, I wasn't sold on it. And I kept, it's funny because I was making money, but I was, I kept trying to invest in things that I didn't know anything about. And I, of course I kept losing money doing it. And finally, you know, 10 years later, my girlfriend, who's now my wife says to me, how come you don't invest back into the one thing that you do know about, the only thing that you know about, which is the alarm industry. I see you invest in all these little things you have no idea on, yet you don't invest in the one thing that you do know about. And I always invested in my sales teams, but I never invested in the operations Hmm. to grow that big organization because I was always, I was kind of operating in um, scarcity mode, where it was like a shortage of success kind of way where I was just trying to save as much money 
so one day I could do what I really wanted to do. And I've always said, the more you try to save money, the more you lose it some other way, right? Because you're so afraid of, can you make that money again? So it wasn't until 2009 that my wife said that. And it also, you know, another thing that, that kind of slowed me down those first 10 years was I never saw anyone doing bigger things than me. Like I was, I had my little niche and I never surrounded myself with people that were doing better in my industry. So all I saw was myself and I was the number one guy. Yeah. So I just... The big fish in the small pond. Yeah, I didn't see any growth. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't in 2009, the company that we were doing business with, which was a company called Counterforce USA, stopped their dealer program. And that forced me to go with a company called Monotronics. And there I started seeing some big fish finally. (laughs) I saw guys that were doing 1,000 a month. I saw guys that were doing 5,000 a month. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah. And one thing I've always said in my life has always been, you know, if those guys can do it, there's no reason why I can't do it. And then I just started thinking bigger. It starts with that. You've got to think bigger. I wasn't thinking bigger those first 10. I mean, I was thinking big, but just not to this, to another level. So that's why I'm kind of bringing that part up. So I wasn't thinking big enough. I finally started thinking big enough. And then I started investing back into the organization. I, I brought in a CFO. And that was a little hard because I was like, man, I'm going to have to fork out 150 grand. Like, yeah, yeah. sorry for that. Like, uh, you know, it's still that small mind way of thinking. And then finally, I was just like, you know what? I need to grow this thing. Let's do it. Let's bring in the CFO. Then we went from six office employees to 50. And then I left the field. So the first 10 years, I left the field. And the reason I never left the field is because I love the money I was making. But mm-hmm. you leave the field, you kind of go through a process where you don't make the same amount of money. You make less money for about a year and a half to two years. Yeah, yeah. Right? But then I started focusing more on, on growing it, the operations. And I, I was always like, I used to love the field. Yeah, yeah. So, but I left the field, focused on the operations, and wanted to build a strong foundation so that then I could really grow and bring the sales. And then from then, we just we started growing. Yeah, and it's been a, a bunch of growth since then is what it seems like. <laughs> almost almost on a, just a, on a completely different level from the time that you've taken yourself out of that. How important do you think that is as a business owner to be able to take yourself out of a lot of the processes so that you can focus on the long-term vision of the company? Well, even though I took myself out of the field, to this day, I'm very involved with the sales guys. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that separates us from a lot of companies is that even though we've grown to the size that we are now, I'm an accessible owner. If there's something wrong, somebody just needs to text me mm-hmm. and I like to be well informed. But it was important for me to get out and focus on the operation. I think the one thing for me was investing back into the organization because now mm-hmm. I had forked out 150 grand for the CFO. I now had Instead of six office employees, I went to 50. So now I made a commitment. I invested big time. Mm -hmm. And that, in a way, forced me to really work my butt off and go make it happen because I had just committed a bunch of money into growing. And I think what happens with a lot of people is a big secret to my success is I commit before I actually have it. So like in our world, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I want to be a manager or I want to be an owner one day, whatever. Mm -hmm. But most people want to manage a team and they wait till they hire eight people to buy a minivan and they'll never buy it, right? Right. What should be done is you buy the minivan, you commit. Mm -hmm. Once you commit, 
Now you have to go get those eight people because you know you're paying 800 bucks. You spent the money. <laughs> I spent 400, 800 bucks a month. I better make use of this. Hmm. Fast forward to 2014, same thing. I, we bought a new building for our company. I, I spent two and a half million. Then I spent another 500 making it look nice. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, kind of built it and they will come kind of thing. Then mm-hmm. it just forced me to work that much harder. Kind of like built-in accountability factors that you keep yourself accountable by making yourself take action on a bigger level than you would have before, basically. Exactly. And that's always been big for me. That's always been something that I've always done. But in order to do that, you have to believe in yourself. You have to realize that you can bring in the people. For me, that's always huge. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that belief in yourself come from? It's a great question. So I think it starts, for me, it started at a young age. You know, I remember my, my mother was just always, I was blessed in the, from where I was a little kid. She would always tell me, I, I have greatness in me. I have greatness in me. And that's huge, right? Those just little words that you tell a kid. And that's why I tell everybody, if you have kids, you got to tell them how great they are so they can start, you know, believing that. My mom would always say, you're going to be something big one day. And obviously where I grew up, that was huge because I, I didn't have, I kind of had humble beginnings. I was born in Bogota, Colombia. Okay. So from when I was a little boy, my parents would come to the U.S. for work. And finally, about the age of six, my parents decided to bring my older sister and I to the United States for a better opportunity. And, you know, as soon as I came to the U.S., man, it was a total dream. It was exactly how I thought it would be. We came to this beautiful home and this huge pool. That's all I remember. But, you know, that didn't last too long. Two weeks after coming to the U.S., I was sitting in my living room with my mother and sister and some friends. And I hear the doorbell ring. And as I go get the door, as I go answer it, the door is getting kicked down and it's, it's law enforcement. And they got guns drawn and they're basically pushing me to the side and they're raiding the house. Oh, and, wow. And they're arresting my mother and dad. So, you know, from there, my mom and dad both went to jail. Mom got acquitted three months after. My dad got acquitted eight months after. But then every year after that, our house was pretty much getting raided. And then wow. when I was 10 years old, our house got raided again. And this time, my dad was put away for some time. And wow. dad and I had a conversation, which was, you need to become you know, the man of the house now. You're, you're the, my older sister was already had a boyfriend and was not living at the house. So he said, you got to take care of your mom. You got to, and at this point I had a little brother and sister and he says, you got to take care of your brother. You got to take care of your little sister. And that stuck to me. Always respected my dad because he always just took care of everyone, whether it was us, whether it was his family back in Colombia, his parents, his brothers. So I had big respect for him. And then unfortunately when he went in, my mom ran out of money in about a two and a half year span. And we were so broke that we had to move to Southeast LA which is a city called Huntington Park, which is Borders Compton to give you an idea of where it is. And we were so broke that we rented an apartment and there was 12 people living in it. Wow. So us four in a little bedroom and then you know four people in another bedroom, four people in another bedroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, those were you know tough times, but I think it made me who I am today. I think when you get a taste of the good life and granted that wasn't the way to do the good life because we, you know, unfortunately... I've done it illegally, and but then it just totally gets taken away. It's like I lived both sides of that, right? Yeah, right. When I was a kid, I had whatever I wanted, and then as a teenager, from eleven to you know 
16, I mean, I, we couldn't even afford shoes. My little brother and sister didn't really have, I mean, we, we were on welfare, barely had enough money to get them clothes and stuff. So wow. I wanted to just get a job as soon as possible because I wanted to help out the family. And then at 15 years old, I was lucky enough to get a job as a telemarketer, basically selling long distance over the phone. <laughs> I was so excited about having a job that I just worked my butt off. And by the time I was 18, I became a general manager and I was in charge of about 40 people. But more importantly, I had become the right-hand man of the PP of sales. Okay. And then I think to one of your points, how important is it? You know, I think you asked me earlier. And luckily, I made quite an impression on that guy. And uh, when I was 21 years old, he came to me and said, hey, I have this opportunity. I'm going to resign and I'm going to start this alarm company. And I want you to come with me and, and help me start it. And he says to me, you know, I can't guarantee you the $70,000 a year that you make here because I was already making good money at 21. Yeah, yeah. And he says, but if you make this work, you can possibly double, triple, quadruple what you make here. And the first thing I thought, so I always tell people my success has come from common sense and drive. Like those two things. Yeah. So common sense told me this guy's making 250 grand a year. If he's going to resign, he must be pretty serious about what he's talking about. Right, right. Second thing I thought was, man, if this guy is willing to teach me how to start a company from the ground up, then this is my shortcut to college because I never went to college. In fact, in high school, I graduated with a 1.8 GPA. Hmm. And uh, now a lot of that, not to make excuses, because I was working at 15, I'd get off at like three and wouldn't come back to 11. So I was more just focused on work. But school was just not my thing. And I thought this would be my shortcut to college if this guy was willing to teach me. And then the third thing for me that was big was I was always a big dreamer. And you know, when we lived in that little apartment, Every time I'd go to bed, I was like, I literally would have this $100,000 number in my head. Yeah, yeah. Just every night I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to make 100 grand a year. As soon as I get a chance to work, I'm going to make 100 grand a year. And I was also that kid that at 16 years old, I would ditch school. I would leave in the fifth grade. I had this like beat up Nissan Sentra and I would go to Beverly Hills and I'd go window shopping. And then I'd drive around all of the houses around Beverly Hills and I'd be like, someday I'm going to live here. I want my house to be on the hill. I want it overlooking the city. And now thinking back, you know, it's funny. I heard Ed Milet talk the other day and he's talking about touching the dream. You got to touch the dream once in a while. And that's exactly what I was doing. Who else did I? Tim Story was talking about how you have to be exposed mm, to yeah lifestyle. And, you know, thinking back at my life now, I'm like, that's exactly what I did. I exposed myself to a better life. I was like, whoa, I want to live on this side of town. Right, right. In these kind of restaurants. I want to dress like that. You yeah. Know? Drive that kind of car. Yeah. I want to drive those kind of cars. So back to where I was at, third thing was that I was this dreamer. And I knew that I wanted to provide a certain lifestyle for my family, which was at the time, my mom, brother, sister, my dad. At this point, I was taking care of him in Colombia. I've been taking care of him since he went back to Colombia since I turned 18. Okay. So I knew that the only way I was going to get those dreams was if I got out of my comfort zone and I did something totally different. Because if I, again, common sense, if I continued doing what I was doing, I wasn't going to make more than 70 grand a year. Right. Right. And it was going to take years before I was able to make more. And I wanted to make money now. And it's funny enough, 
this is exactly what I thought. I thought so at this point, I didn't live in Huntington Park. I lived in Southgate okay, in a nicer area, nicer neighborhood. But just to give you an idea, from Southgate, Watts is still about a mile away. Okay. And I thought to myself, if I fail, I lose this job that's paying me 70 grand a year and I end up in Watts. Watts, Southgate, not that big of a difference. <laughs> yeah. We got it that way, right? Yeah. If I make it, and I make it to where I always wanted to be, which one when I was 16, you know, that's worth the risk. And I'm able to take care of my mom because my mom's dream was to buy a house and all that, to always have her own house. Mm -hmm. I was able to do that for her at 21. So wow, that's awesome. That's kind of how I got started. It was a long answer for you, but a lot of your question, I know part of it was what made me believe in myself. Yeah. I think little successes that I was having at an early age, whether it was my mom put me in sports all the time. So I'd succeed in that, even though I was never the best at it, I would just kind of work hard and end up as a starter. So little successes there. When I started at the phone company, even though I was the youngest, I got my promotions and, you know, little victories like that. Yeah. Start believing in yourself, mm -hmm. you know? So I always say, as long as you work hard, you're going to get results. And if you get results, you're going to get confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Results give you the confidence, right? Love that. Yeah. But again, as long you have to work at it. And I was never the smartest. I always outworked everybody. And because of that, I started getting results. And because of that, I started getting confidence. And then I call it, you got to believe. So I had to believe I was worth a hundred grand a year. Hmm. So the reason I quit that job was because I was getting paid 70 grand a year, but I felt like I was worth a hundred grand a year. And even if that industry failed, mm -hmm. I was always going to be worth a hundred grand a year. I just moved to the next industry and be worth a hundred grand a year. Now, obviously the more results you get, the more you think you're worth. Then I was right. like, Man, I'm worth 500 grand a year. Then it's like, I'm worth a million dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I'm worth 10 million. I'm worth a hundred million. And you just keep going that way. Yeah. Yeah. So much about what you just said, but especially the whole way to grow your confidence. And the bottom line is it's not the sexiest answer. You know what I mean? Like, the word consistency isn't a sexy answer, but that's the number one thing that builds confidence that I've seen in my life is, and basically from that entire story, from what you're saying, it sounds like you've seen that in your life too, is that you were consistent and consistent and consistent. You were working and working and working. When other people weren't, you were. And so when you start to see those results from the effort that you're putting in over time, then that's only going to build and build and build your self-confidence and your belief in yourself. And if you believe in yourself, then it's so much easier to get other people to believe in you and to build that team and to build that vision over the long term. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.